Uh, well, church, uh, we are going to dive in the Word this morning. And uh, if you are visiting with us, normally we walk through a book of the Bible, and currently we are in a series on the book of Esther. Uh, but we're going to take a little break from that today, and we're going to look at one verse. Just one verse. Normally, it's more than that, but today, just one. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. So, if you'll stand with me as we read from God's Word. The Apostle Paul says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, we praise you and thank you that you made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, help us to have soft hearts this morning so that we can understand what you mean when you tell us these words. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we are almost to July 4th, which, as we know, means that Christmas is a mere six months away. And so you better start preparing. But I want to highlight the, the kindness of my lovely wife because every Christmas, she gets me several presents. She doesn't just give me one present, she gets me several. Usually there's one present that's better than all the rest, but she does get me multiple presents. So I want you to kind of picture with me, if we get to Christmas this year, which again, just a mere six months away, if we get to Christmas and I come out to the tree and I see that there are two presents from my lovely wife with my name on it under the tree. Now, my wife always forces me to open the best present last. I'm not allowed to open the best present first. I have to wait. Whatever the nice present is, it's coming last. So let's see. I say I see these two presents under the tree, and she's like, here, I want you to open this one first. Well, because of that, I know that it's probably not the as nice present. It'll be wonderful, but it's not going to be whatever she spent the most money on. And so I, I open this up, and it's like, oh, this is amazing. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. And then I kind of get up, and I go on throughout my day, ignoring that second package that's under the tree. You'd be like, Mark, what are you doing? You know that your wife gives you the best present second. Why are you not going and opening that present? The truth is, in our Christian walk, in the verse that we just read, God gives us two gifts. Yet, we as Christians often forget the second gift. We know Jesus died on the cross for my, sin, my sins. But, we forget the second half of this verse. Christ bore my sin, but I've been given something else as well. The righteousness of God. That's where we're going today. Now, as you're here today, if you don't know Christ, if you're not a Christian, I hope that our time together today will give you a good picture of what Jesus, the Bible, and Christianity is all about. But also, if you're here today and you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, I hope that as we read these words, as familiar as they are, I hope that they bring you joy. Because it's, thing, it's, it's the message here that we need to remember. It's good news that God has given us. God gave our sin to Christ and then gave Christ's righteousness to us. Those two gifts. Okay, so let's open up 
the verse itself and kind of unpack it. There are those two halves. The first half is, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's the first half. Okay, so we're going to kind of camp on that for a little bit. And there's three parts in that first half, or three ideas really that we need to kind of look at. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So we first need to understand what is sin. If God made him, that is Christ, the first he in this sentence is God, God made Christ to be sin. We need to know what sin is. Sin, in its essence, is just rebellion against God. It's looking at God and saying, God, eh, I don't really want to go your way. I'm going to go my way. And we do it both through doing the things we ought not to do and not doing the things we ought to do. Sometimes we think refraining from the good isn't as bad as doing the bad. But in God's eyes, that's just as bad. Because he calls us to always do the good. Sin is rebellion against God. And for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a consequence to sin. Scriptures tell us that the wages of sin, what you earn from your sin, is death. And in the context where Paul says that, he's talking about eternal damnation, separation from God. You may look at that and think, well, that's kind of harsh. But the reality is, is that all of us want evil to be dealt with. We want justice to be served. And God is an infinite, mighty, holy, glorious, righteous king. And we've looked at him and said, no, thank you. The measure of the offense is proportionate to the measure of the respect, value, and worth of the one offended. And God, as a perfect and infinite God, has been infinitely wronged. When we look at him and we say, <laughs> nah, I know best. Us, finite creatures, looking at an infinite God and saying, I know best. The consequence for that is the wrath of God. And we all long for this. We all long for evil to be dealt with. Every single last one of us. If something happens to you, you want that wrong to be righted. The question is, where do we draw that line? God draws it at perfection. Why? Because he is perfect. So that is sin. But here we also have Paul saying that Christ knew no sin. He knew no sin. He said no to temptation his entire life. Not a single time did he say, ah, that's too tough. He did the right thing every single moment. Whenever we are pricked, whenever life pushes in on us and maybe squeezes us, what's inside of us comes out. When you and I are pricked or we're pressed, what comes out is usually kind of ugliness and anger, frustration and hatred. But when Christ was pricked, when he was pressed, what came out was love, compassion, patience, truth. He was full of grace and truth together. He had perfect relationship with the Father. He knew no sin. But the Father made him to be sin. Now when Paul says this, so this is the second idea, this idea of to be sin. What are we talking about? Not that he literally became sin, but that he bore our sin. Our sin was placed on him. It was credited to him. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 2.24. He says, he himself, talking about Christ, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Talking about the cross. 
our sins were placed on him. And that's incredibly unfair and unjust. How do you feel when somebody accuses you and punishes you for something that you didn't do? For those of you with multiple children, you can see this when siblings get wrongly blamed. No, it wasn't me. It was my, my sister or my brother or whatever. Like they, they go ballistic. And you kind of know when someone didn't do anything based on that response sometimes. Sometimes they're also really good actors. You know, you, know, you can't always go by that. One time, this was many years ago, I was in the, uh, an Arby's drive-thru, ordered my meal, went up to the window, paid with a $20 bill. And they gave me what I believed to not be enough change. And I was like, okay, I uh, gave you a 20. My meal was about five bucks, because you know, this was a long time ago. And uh, you only gave me about five and change. I, I, something's not right here. And uh, the guy's like, no, no, you gave me a 10. The manager was called over and you know, we, we talked for a little bit. And uh, I was trying to be gracious and patient. But at the end of the conversation, he basically said to me, no, you're lying and trying to steal money from us. And I, I was kind of floored by that. I was pretty sure that I'd given a 20. This was kind of soon after, like the new $20 bills came out and they had like the nice colors on it. And so that's why I was like, oh, this is an interesting bill. And here I'm, I'm paying with it. So like I was pretty sure I paid with a 20. Am I 100% sure? No. But I'm pretty sure to this day that I didn't give them a 10. It hurt being accused of being a liar and a thief. It hurt. But the truth is, I've both lied and stolen at other times in my life. But in that moment, when I wasn't lying and stealing, or at least not trying to, it hurt. And I'm not someone who knew no sin. But imagine Christ, the one who knew no sin, willingly, letting our sin be placed upon him. Not fighting it. Not declaring, you know, screw all of you guys. I'm innocent. I'm going home. No, he said, I will die for you. Every single sin you have ever done, Christian, was placed on Jesus. All of it. And he gladly and willingly took it. Willingly. We have the one who knew no sin. For our sake, God made him to be sin. So that's the next part I want to look at. We have the one, we have sin, we have the one who knew no sin, and we have for our sake, he made. That's the way the verse starts. For our sake, he made. That for our sake means on behalf of us. It was done for us, for me, for you. I think for most of us, we rarely want to go out of our way to be kind and love the people who have wronged us. Especially someone who's maybe accused you of doing something you didn't do. I doubt you're lining up to be like, oh, let me bless that guy. But Jesus allowed himself to be accused and he bore the punishment for the people, the very people who were accusing him and crucifying him. That's you and me. If we had been there, we would have done the exact same thing. Crucify him. It's for our sake that he took that on. Not just some random people, but for us, for our sake. 
The technical term for all of this is penal substitutionary atonement. That's a fancy theological word. Penal substitutionary atonement. Basically, Christ was the substitute for our punishment. And atonement just means that relationship is restored, justice has been served, wrongs have been made right. So the punishment has been paid. That was Christ dying on the cross. For our sake. But not just that. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. He made. Only God was able to deal with our sin. Only God. It's not Moses. Not John the Baptist. Not Elijah. Not any other spiritual or religious figure in the whole wide world. Not you and not me. Only God. It's not we made sin to be sin, or we made Christ to be sin. It's He made Christ to be sin. What does that say about our God? That He says, I know that you can't do anything about your sin, so I am going to take care of it. What a God that we serve. He is the source of our salvation. It was His idea, His plan, His work, and not something that He did on a whim. Oh no, it looks like they screwed up. I guess I'm going to have to do something about that. Oh, Israel didn't measure up? Okay, i got to figure out plan B. No, from the start, in the garden, God knew and God planned that He would send His very own Son to die on behalf of His people. He intentionally acted to deal with sin. What compassion. So for us, God's people, when we see our sin, we must not act as if it has not been dealt with. When you see your sin, do you think, okay, I need to somehow punish myself. I need to somehow atone for what I have done. If I say that I need to do something in order to make God like me because of this sin, I've somehow wronged him, well, then I'm living a deception because my sin has been fully placed on Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. Or he made him to be sin who knew no sin. If you'd like the awkward reading of the ESV. Your sin has been dealt with. Now, everything I've shared to this point, most of you, especially if you're part of our church, you're familiar with this idea. You're like, yes, Jesus died for my sins. Yes, Pastor Mark, I agree with everything you're saying. Yes, I love it. Thank you. But there's a second part that we need to look at because we forget it. And it gives us life and freedom. It's the idea of Christ giving us his righteousness. Second half of the verse says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why did God the Father plan all of this? Why did Christ the Son do this? Why does the Holy Spirit apply this to our lives? so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, you may hear the words, we might become the righteousness of God, and you might think, oh, that's a maybe. Well, maybe someday, in some weird way, far off in the future, I'll be the righteousness of God. But that's not what this is saying. That, that, that might become is not a maybe, but it's the sense of this was done with the purpose that we would be declared innocent. We have the righteousness of God. This is a purpose. The, the, the phrase so that or the word for so that in the Greek is a purpose statement. This was done so that this other thing would happen. 
The might here is not a might in the maybe sense, but in the would sense. This was done so that this thing over here would be accomplished. It is done. It is fixed. This has been done with an effective purpose. We are the righteousness of God. We have it. It's not a future. The word there, the become, is not in the future tense. It's actually in the past. That we might become the righteousness of God. So, when we talk about the righteousness of God, what do we mean by that? I mentioned it a little bit ago. We are declared innocent. Also, we are pure. We're holy. There's not a smudge to be found. In other words, we have right legal standing before God. It's as if we did not do the wrong that we have done, but also as if we have done all of the right that Christ did. This idea of righteousness is a little bit different from the way that Matthew uses it. You know, we went through the Sermon on the Mount a few months ago in our church, and his idea of righteousness is more looking at kind of whole person orientation toward God. And here we have Paul using this word, and he's using it for legal standing. And he's using it in the sense of not neutral, not just blameless, but that I have done all things right. It's exactly what God would have and has done. And this is where we tend to go off in our Christian walk. We think Christ died for me on the cross, and therefore I'm somehow back to neutral, and that everything else in the Christian life is up to me. But God tells us in his word that not only has my past been dealt with, but I've been given all of the future righteousness of Christ and the past righteousness of Christ. It all is mine. This is the great exchange. Christ took our sin and gave us his righteousness. Technical term for it is double imputation. So you're getting all sorts of fancy theology words today. Double imputation. Our sin was imputed or placed upon Christ. His righteousness imputed or placed upon us. I'll share this example. Uh, a week ago, got a, or a week and a half ago, got my brand new iPhone. And uh, you may have noticed last Sunday, I, I didn't have a case for it. Uh, the case had not arrived. That's one of the glories of living in northwest Iowa is when you order things quickly off of Amazon, they don't come terribly quick. So my phone came late last week, but my case did not come until Monday. Well, Sunday after church, I'm getting out of my car in my driveway, and my phone falls out of my pocket onto the concrete, face down, and slides about six inches or so. Of course, I'm freaking out a bit, thinking, oh, this is my brand new phone. You've got to be kidding me. I've had it for like two days. Like, Lord, why? How long, oh, Lord? Like, I, I, was, I was distraught. And uh, praise be to God, there was only a tad, wee little bit of damage. There's a tiny, tiny little scratch on the front, and the, the side was damaged a little bit, which, of course, has now been covered by the case. Could have been far worse. But we tend, or here's the problem. We as Christians tend to look at Jesus' death on the cross kind of like a case that covers our phone. It's like, oh, he covers up and maybe has paid for all of my sins. So when I drop my phone from now on, the case absorbs it instead of my phone. But that's not really exactly what's going on here. Yes, kind of like a case that goes over the phone, but imagine this. So I, I drop my phone on Sunday, the case comes on Monday. Imagine if I had got opened up the package for my phone case and inside that package was not just a phone case but a brand new phone and that phone was invincible. 
It's like that. That's what Christ has done for us. He's not just covered us, but he's given us his righteousness, his very own life. He has called us holy. Paul says in Colossians 3.12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So he lists these things that they ought to put on, and he grounds it in the fact that they are holy and beloved. Hey, you're already perfect. You already have Christ's righteousness, so act in this way. Paul, at the beginning of the letter of 2 Corinthians, and also in 1 Corinthians, calls those in the Corinthian church, and all the rest of the churches in his letters, saints. He calls them saints. Corinth, in particular, was a pretty wretched church. They had a guy in their church who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. And the whole church was like, oh, look, we're so gracious because we love this guy. And Paul's like, you need to kick that guy out. Like, what are you doing? He calls that church saints, a wicked, sexually immoral people. He calls saints. And that's all of us. We are saints in Christ. Our sin has not just been dealt with but we've been given righteousness, so let us not fail to live as if we've been made pure. Just a few verses earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That means every wrong choice that you have ever made has been replaced with the right choice. Christ's right choice. When you think about your past and you're like, man, I wish I could have a do-over on that one. In Christ, his righteousness is given to you and God smiles. This frees us up to do two things in particular. So if you're thinking of kind of application this morning, here's two things. One, when you fail, don't feel like you need to make up for your sin. You have already been declared righteous. Generally, we do this by emotionally punishing ourselves. I need to be sad for X amount of time for what I've done. And yes, there is a place to be contrite when we're confronted with our sin that should bring sorrow. Yet, God wants us to turn our sin over to him, confess it, and then receive his forgiveness to know that we are forgiven. So for example, if Rox, my wife, does something against me and I forgive her, I don't want her to wallow in it. Part of me forgiving her was to give her freedom and to say, it's done. And God has given us far more than just forgiveness. He's given us Christ's righteousness. So, you don't need to wallow in your sin thinking that somehow it's making you more righteous. Find freedom in Christ. But secondly, when you fail, because we all do, we're all living into that righteousness. When you fail, you are free to confess your sins because your righteousness is not dependent upon your behavior. It's been done on the cross. So you are free to say, man, I screwed up, but praise be to God, I have Christ's righteousness. That doesn't mean that there won't be no consequences for your sin, but the eternal consequences have been dealt with. And so we are free because we don't need anybody else to see us a particular way you don't have to, to pretend like you've got it all going on. Instead, we can kind of find freedom in that confession. So may we be quick to confess. There's one last thing in this verse that I want to highlight. Two simple words. They're the words, in him. In the second half of that verse, Paul said, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Only those in Christ have his righteousness. You have a choice. You can either opt for your own righteousness and keep standing on what you have done, or you can receive his righteousness. He offers us this righteousness as a gift. He doesn't say, do this, jump through these hoops, do all these other things over here, and maybe I'll like you. He says, you have my compassion and mercy. Will you turn to me in faith? Will you believe that my death was enough? He offers us this life as a gift of grace, undeserved favor. Randy was saved not because of anything he did, not because he had a a home that that taught him uh, in the church, but because God had mercy on him and extended him a gift, salvation free of charge, free of charge. But we have to respond in faith. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We have to believe. If the Spirit is stirring in your heart, I invite you to believe this morning. Believe. 2 Corinthians 6.2, right after this verse, our main verse for today, Paul says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Will you believe? Maybe you've been coming to our church for years and you've never really believed. Maybe you're just joining us this morning on a whim and you've never really believed. I invite you to do that. Will you respond? Because Jesus took our sin and gives us his righteousness. So let's not live in shame. Let's not live in hiding. Let's not seek to prove anything. Let's just confess our sin and remember that we have Christ's righteousness. Because of that, our Heavenly Father smiles. Let me pray. Father, we worship you and praise you. Thank you that you are so kind to us to give us Christ's righteousness. Thank you that you purposed that that would be the case. We thank you that you are all-powerful. We thank you that you are all-merciful. We thank you that we are your children, that you have given us far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Help us to continue trusting in you and believing that we do indeed have Christ's righteousness. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.